Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, The Contributions of a Disciple, from our series, Discipleship 101. Today, we're going to talk about the contributions of a disciple. Say the contributions. Amen. Now, we're going to talk about in several ways, but we are going to talk about financially as well today. We're talking about the contributions. What investments are disciples called to make in the kingdom of God and in the local church of which they are a part? Amen. In the church of God, we often talk about three areas of contribution where we're called to make in the church. We talk about time and talent and tithe, amen, the three T's. You often hear those talked about, and those are three of the ones I'm referring to today. Investments, contributions we make, an investment of our time, an investment of our ability, an investment of our financial resources in the work of God and the kingdom of God, amen. We're to support our local church through those ways. In fact, we made a promise to do that whenever we joined the local church, whenever we stood before our congregation, The pastor asks you some questions. Are you willing to walk in the light of Scripture as it shines upon your path? Are you willing to abide by the teachings of the church of God as set forth in the minutes of the General Assembly? We ask you that question. Amen? Amen. So if you're a sipping saint, you're a lying saint because you stood here and said you wouldn't. Amen. Woo! It's a holiness church. Amen. You stood here and said you'd abide by the teachings of the church. Amen. Put them cigarettes down. You said you'd quit. Glory to God. Quit. Need some help. I'll buy the first pack of Nicorette if you'll promise to quit. Amen. Amen. Come Wednesday night. We'll pray for you. Jesus can set you free. There's something better at this altar than you can buy in a Marlboro pack. I promise you. Glory to God. You can feel something down here you can't light up. He'll light you. Amen. Glory to God. Mm. Pastor Bowl today. Pastor didn't even have much breakfast today. You better be glad. Amen. Amen. One of the things we said when we stood down here was, and I will support my local church with my financial means to the best of my ability. That was a promise we made. That was a commitment we made when we became part of the church of God. And I want to. I hope today that you are doing that. You may say, well, don't you know if I'm doing that? Well, no, not exactly. I don't because I don't go through the giving records and look at who gives and who doesn't. Just in case you ever wondered that, I don't. I don't. The only time that ever comes to my purview is if we have a pastor's council election, I'm required to ask our clerk to verify that people who run their name are indeed loyal, tithe-paying members of the church. And on occasion, Tony will have to come to me and say, Sorry, pastor, this guy didn't quite check all those boxes at this time. Amen. And I have to find out in that way. I don't go look. Um, I could, but I don't. I don't want to know that. I don't ever want you to think when I come visit you that my care of you as a pastor has anything to do with how much you do or do not contribute to this church. I'm going to love you and be your pastor if you don't ever give one red cent into the life of this church. Amen? Because that's my obligation towards you. And just because you don't do what you're supposed to do don't mean I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do. You can get in trouble all you want to. I aim to stay out of trouble. Amen? Amen. I'm going to do right. (laughs) I'm going to pastor and I'm going to love you and I'm going to do my best by you, whatever you choose to do, because that's between me and the Lord and yours is between you and the Lord. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. With that said, a lot of times people get nervous when the pastor talks about giving or stewardship or making an investment in the life of the church. And I understand how that can be difficult. And you can probably count on one hand the number of sermons I've preached about giving since I've been the pastor here. And I say this may be the second one in my fourth year. Amen? Uh, maybe. Uh, maybe the first one. I'd have to go back and check the record. I honestly don't know that. But I do want to tell you today... I would be remiss in my responsibility as your pastor if from time to time I did not lift up from God's word what the Bible says about our responsibility to give into the work of the Lord. Amen? Many people would say, well, I just don't think preachers should talk about money. Well, preachers are to preach the Bible. And the Bible has 500 verses on prayer, 500 verses on on faith, 2,350 verses on money. So if I'm allowed to preach about prayer and faith, Certainly, I'm allowed to preach about money. Amen? Amen. I've got good ground to stand on this morning from the Word of God. I'm in my lane to talk about this today. 16 of the 38 parables of Jesus 
Our Lord himself used money or possessions as an illustration to talk about the deeper realities of the kingdom of God. So the Bible actually has a lot to say about money, possessions, finances. And I thought what better day to do it than Labor Day weekend because this is the weekend when we celebrate the fact that we are working people. Amen? And tomorrow we're going to grill ribs and we're going to watch reruns and we're going to enjoy our family and enjoy the fact that we have some fruit from our labor to enjoy. Amen? Amen. It's going to be wonderful, isn't it? We labor in order that we may not only live, but we labor in order that we may give to the work of the Lord. Amen? And our text this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul gives us a good uh, understanding or groundwork to begin talking about this subject. The Bible speaks of work, spending, debt, savings, investing, giving. All of these are described in the Bible. And Paul talks about one of them here in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. The context is this. The church in Jerusalem had fallen on hard times and the churches were raising a benevolence offering to take back and bless that church. And Paul had communicated with all the churches he planted and asked them to raise an offering. And when he came by, they would send their representatives with him and they would distribute that offering in Jerusalem and make sure the need was met. In that context, he says these words. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may, that there may be no collections when I come. May God ask the, add a blessing to the reading of his word and his people said. There are a couple things that stand out to me from the very beginning of this passage, and one is this. Paul says, I have given orders. Say orders. So giving is not a suggestion, it is a commandment. I want you to notice that. And I want you to notice that Paul had the authority to give such an order because he was an apostle of the Lord Jesus. In fact, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. How many of you ate shrimp or pork chops this week? You are a Gentile. <laughs> Amen. So what Paul said to them is good for us as well. <laughs> Amen. The words he's written to us are binding on us. The, in other words, the leadership of the church had the right to insist upon this giving. And Paul is very clear here about his expectations of the Corinthians and the Galatians and all the other churches. I want you to notice, number one, our method of giving. Say our method. Our method of giving. Paul is very clear. God is very specific in his instructions for giving. He gives us some very definite directions. Number one, he gives us a definite time. Say a definite time. He says on the first day of the week. Notice that. When is that? Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week. If you don't believe it, go look at your calendar. Amen. Sunday's the first day of the week. Saturday was the Jewish Sabbath, the seventh day. Sunday, however, became the Christian day of worship. People say, why don't you worship on Saturday and keep the Sabbath? Well, because Jesus is our Sabbath, the book of Hebrews says. And if I've trusted him, I've entered into his Sabbath rest. Amen. And the early church began very early, not meeting on Saturday, but meeting on Sunday. And part of the reason was to distinguish themselves from among the Jewish people around them and to make it known that they were different and they believed something a little different. And they gathered not on Saturday, but on Sunday. And the reason mainly was it was the day of the resurrection. Amen? Say, well, the Lord said uh, to meet on Saturday to the Old Testament people. Yes, he did. But the New Testament Christians began meeting on the Lord's day. And they called it that. That's what John calls it in Revelation 1. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. When was that? The day of the resurrection. It was Sunday. How do you know they met on Sunday? Paul just told you they met on Sunday. On the first day of the week. You are to gather, and when you gather for worship, you are to give and bring an offering. Amen? So we meet on Sunday because the early church met on Sunday. Amen? Amen. You may have some Seventh-day Adventist friends who will disagree with me, but they can disagree with Paul and be wrong if they want to. Amen? Amen. I'm going to meet when Paul said meet. Not when some little group started 150, 200 years ago said meet. Amen? I know the Bible is right and somebody's wrong, Bishop Patterson said. Glory to God. Pastor, you're just mean today. No, I'm, I'm anointed today. Amen. <laughs> Amen. We meet on the Lord's day when he said meet. Amen. Amen. 
And we give on the Lord's day. Some people say, well, I just give as the Holy Spirit leads me. Let me take that great burden off your shoulders. You don't have to give when the Lord leads you. God already spoke in his word and told you when to give. He said, give on the first day of the week. Glory to God. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to feel led. Amen? If you need to feel led, we'll pass out number two pencils at the end of the service. And you can poke your neighbor and feel led. Amen? But you don't have to feel led to do what the Bible says. The Bible says on the first day of the week, when you show up, you should bring your offering. I tell you, it didn't say you have to wear a tie on Sunday. But it did say you ought to give on Sunday. Glory to God. Amen. Well, Pastor, I won't be back. Well, let me tell you what I've learned. The only people get mad when the preacher preaches about giving is the folks that ain't doing it anyway. Amen. Mm. Raymond Culpepper, when he was planning his church one time at Metro, he started out, he had somebody got mad with him and said, I'm going to leave. Well, he knew they didn't give anyway, and he said, I'm going to give you a quarter so we can say we lost something on your way out. Amen. <laughs> I didn't say that. Brother Culpepper said that. Amen. Do you feel that way, Pastor? No, I don't feel that way. I want you to be here regardless of what you give. I want you to come and I want you to be under the anointed preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And we're going to love you and serve you no matter what you do. But I do want you to be aware, all, be aware, all jokes aside this morning, the Word of God is very clear that there is a divine expectation on Christians to support the local church, its ministries and its outreach by their faithful giving. And it is to be regular giving, and we are to give it on a definite time. Say a definite time. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. Secondly, there's a definite person. Say a definite person. He doesn't just tell me when to give. He tells me who is supposed to give. Every one of you, it says. Do you notice it? Let every one of you give unto the Lord. Everyone is encouraged to give to the Lord. No matter how much somebody else contributes, you and I still have a responsibility to give in the offering. It, didn't, it wouldn't matter if every bill was paid and somebody was dropping a million dollars in the plate every Sunday, which I promise you they're not, by the way. I would still give my tithes. Why? Because whatever you give doesn't release me from my obligation to give. Amen? And what you give, God's not going to bless me on what you give. God's going to bless me on what I give. Amen? And so I'm going to give because the Bible says, let every one of you lay aside something to bring and give in the offering. Many people believe they have so little that God doesn't expect them to give financially. I don't ever find that in the Bible. In fact, I find the story of Jesus watching the people give, and he noticed a little widow who dropped two mites in the offering box. And Jesus didn't go over and hand her her two mites back and say, you shouldn't have given in the offering. Anybody in your situation, it'd be irresponsible for them to give. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't condemn her for her giving. In fact, Jesus commended her for her giving and pointed her out and said, notice her. She gave more than anybody gave because they gave from their abundance and she gave out of her need. Can I tell you today, the Bible says everyone ought to give. Amen. It's interesting to me that Jesus was watching her give. Say he was watching. I don't know if he's watching during the singing, but I know he's watching during the offering because the Bible said he watched. That's why the pastor don't have to look. Why have I got to look? The Lord is looking. Amen. The pastor is the least of your worries. The Lord is looking. And the Lord determines our blessing based on our faithfulness in part to give to the work of the Lord. Amen. Amen. He was watching. He paid attention and he commended her. Shay and I know a little bit about how hard it can be to trust God when times are tight financially. And we learned early in our marriage to write our tithe check first. It's just the first check you write because if you wait, you may not ever do it. But if you write it first and just go ahead and say, this belongs to the Lord, then you've got that argument settled. Amen? 
when Shay and I married, I made $300 a week, and we had $600 a month house rent, and I had a car note and insurance, and that was the only income coming into our house. And we were both students full-time in college and in seminary, respectively. And we made it by the Lord's good grace, and we never failed to pay our tithes or to give in an offering when we had the opportunity to give. And we are living proof that God will take care of you if you'll be faithful, but you don't start it when you can afford it. You just start it now. Amen? And let the Lord help you and bless you. Amen? People will say, well, I object to that, Pastor. I believe, you know, tithing came before, uh, tithing is part of the law. Well, notice what the Bible says here. Not only is there a definite time and a definite person, there's a definite proportion. Say proportion. He says, let each one give as the Lord has prospered him. Give as he may prosper. In other words, our giving is proportional to our increase. Our giving, even in the New Testament, is based on how we prosper. In other words, those who prospered a little will be giving less, and those who prospered more will be giving more. So even in the New Testament, there's this principle of proportional giving. We give in accordance to how we have prospered. Amen. It's proportional. Say that with me. It's proportional. Well, I want to tell you, in the Old Testament, the tithe was proportional. Amen? If you make a little, 10% is a little. And if you make a lot, 10% is more. Amen? <laughs> if you made $100, the tithe is $10. If you made $1,000, the tithe is $100. If you made $10,000, the tithe is $1,000. Amen? It is proportional. And so I, I find it hard to believe Paul doesn't have something like the tithe in mind when he's talking about proportional giving, considering he was a good Jewish man who grew up under this system. People say, well, pastor, that was the law. Well, I want to remind you that's not exactly true either. Tithing is included in the law, but tithing predates the law. Abraham wasn't under the law. Jacob wasn't under the law. The law started with Moses. But the Bible says Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Does it say that? It does. Genesis 14, 18 to 20. The Bible says, well, what is that the only one? The Bible says Jacob paid tithes. Where do you find that? Genesis 28 and 22. Jacob paid tithes on the increase that the Lord gave him. So even before the law, people were giving tithes. Jesus commended the tithing of the Pharisees and said, you should have done this and not left more important matters undone. You should have done both. So he didn't offer a change. He commended them and said, you should have done this. You're right to have done this. The writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews even talks about paying Abraham's tithes to Melchizedek, saying that by faith he gave those tithes to Christ and implies that it was an acceptable good thing to be done, that tithes be given to Christ. And he's writing in the New Testament to New Testament people. Amen. Pastor, do you believe in tithes? I do. I don't know any better system of proportional giving than the tithe. Amen. And so we practice that. We practice that. We believe in that. Amen. Malachi 3, 8, and 9. He said, well, a man robbed God, yet you've robbed me. But you'll say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. God has an expectation on us for our giving. And when we don't give what he prescribes, we've robbed from him. Amen. It's not optional. It is commanded that we give and that we give proportional to our income. The word's clear on that. And I want to ask you this, if you object to tithing because it's Old Testament. Why would any Christian living under grace want to give less than they gave under the law? Have you received more or less under Jesus than they received under the law? I've received far more than an Old Testament believer received. Well, then I ought to be willing to give far more than an Old Testament believer was willing to give. Amen. Mm. Quiet in the holiness church today, isn't it? Amen. Hear me. The principle in the Bible is first fruits. The tithe ought to be the floor, not the ceiling on our giving. It's the bare minimum a New Testament believer ought to consider giving unto the Lord. The first fruits always belong to God. 
Even people that shouldn't know this, know this in the Bible. There's a little widow in Zarephath who the Bible says when Elijah came to her in the middle of the famine, she had just a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil, enough to make one pound of cornbread for she and her son, and they were going to eat it, and then they were going to starve to death. And Elijah walks in and has the audacity, the unmitigated goal to look at her as only a television preacher would do and say, make me a cake first. How dare he? How dare he do that to that widow? Because he knew something that you may not know about giving. He knew that you can't outgive God. He knew that the first fruits always belong to God. And he knew that she, what she had in her hand, she had a choice. She either had seed or she had feed. And she had to make up in her mind which she had in her lap. If she was going to eat it, she'd eat one meal and die. But if she was going to invest it in the kingdom of God, she could sow seed and God could bless that seed and give her a harvest. Amen. Don't eat your seed today. Amen. Don't eat your seed. The Bible is clear on that. And there's a definite reason. Say a definite reason. Paul said that there be no collections when I come. In other words, Paul said we don't have to do a big fundraiser project when I get there. The money needs to already be raised. In other words, you shouldn't have to have some big special offering to meet the need. If you are regularly, faithfully, proportionally giving, the church ought to have enough to take care of its business. Amen? This is God's plan for running the church. God's plan is that God's people give and that the need is met. I hear people say, well, we need to do a fundraiser. You spend twice as much money when you do a fundraiser. Why would I want to sell a Krispy Kreme donut and give Krispy Kreme half the product, half the profit? Why don't we just give an offering and not eat a donut? Glory to God. When I was in Durant, Mississippi, the air conditioner went out. And I remember stepping up to my pulpit and I said to our little congregation of 50 people, I said, we are going to buy a new air conditioner and not one chicken is going to lose his life to pay for it. Amen. We're not selling chicken dinners. We're going to take an offering because that's God's way of financing God's program. It's his people give. Amen. I want to share my money with priesters pecans. I don't want to share God's money with Krispy Kreme. I don't want to share God's money with wrapping paper. Let's just give. Amen. You don't want the pecans anyway, right? You just buy and call somebody ask you to. Well, if we just give right, we wouldn't have to have a single fundraiser. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. I'm preaching better than you're shouting, but I'm used to that. Amen. <laughs> Number two, our manner of giving. Say our manner of giving. There's a method to our giving. And then Paul not only talks about that, but the manner of our giving. Paul says not only do we give it, but he said we have to be aware of our attitude while we're giving it. We are to give it, he says, number one, willingly. Say willingly. We're to give willingly. Giving to the work of God should not be done out of duty or drudgery. It should be a delight. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Amen? Now the ushers will take it from a grouch, but the Lord loves, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Amen? The Lord is not only watching how much I give. The Lord is not only watching if I give when he says give. The Lord is watching the attitude with which I give. God knows if the ushers have to pry the tithe check from between your fingers on Sunday. Some of y'all, there's corners torn off, torn off the edge of them $20 bills. Amen. Amen. Just ripped. It's, I'm joking. We ought not give grudgingly. We are to give willingly. We are to give generously with an overflowing heart. The Bible tells us that. We don't complain when we give to something that we love. We complain about $3 gas if it's to drive to work. But I want to tell you, we'll put $3 a gallon gas in our fishing boat and go fish. We'll put them in the four-wheeler and go hunt. And we'll smile the whole time we're pumping it. You don't complain when you're giving to what you love. Amen. Amen. You don't want to give it to the IRS, but if the grandkids come by, here you go, baby. Mamaw's got something. You will make it rain on those grandkids. Yes. You don't mind giving to what you love. 
Paul says we ought to love the church. We ought to love the ministries of the church. We ought to give because we want to give. Amen. If you don't want to give, then your want to needs to get saved. Amen. Amen. We should give number two expectantly. Say expectantly. Paul says we have the right to expect that if we give, God will kick in and God will help us and God will bring his blessing. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added to you as well. What things? The previous verses, he tells us what things. Don't worry about your body, what you'll wear. Don't worry about what you'll eat. Don't worry about food and clothing. Don't worry about shelter and these needs. Your father knows you have need of them. God will make sure our needs are met. In Philippians, he writes to a very poor church. And in Philippians 4.18, he says to them in 19, Indeed, I have all in abound. I'm full. I've received your love offering from Epaphroditus, the things that you sent me, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. What is he saying there? Because you met the needs of the ministry, you can be assured God will meet your need. You took care of God's house, and God's going to take care of your house. That's what Paul said. We can be assured of that. We can give with the expectation that my giving causes God to be willing to intervene and help me financially. Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Men will be put into will give into your bosom, your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it'll be measured back to you again. Amen. He told them in the Old Testament, bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that it will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall your vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord. I can't tell you how many times I would receive a love offering or a special gift or something would happen and Shay and I would get a little extra income um, out that was unexpected to us and then something in our house would break. It would tear up. Something on the car would go down or, or, or an appliance would fail and we would have to replace it. And at first Shay would look at me and say, isn't that just like the devil? Amen. We just got this little extra money and now that thing broke. And I read this verse and I said, no, that's not just like the devil. That's just like God should have broke three weeks ago but I couldn't have afforded to fix it three weeks ago so God held it together until I could afford to fix it that's how good God is amen he rebuked the devourer he held the belt on until I could afford to replace the belt amen you can look at it either way I choose to look at it as God was watching out for us bless his name we should give expectantly. If the widow had eaten her seed, there would have been no harvest. We should give sacrificially. Say sacrificially. Amen. People say give till it hurts. Well, give till it feels good. Amen. I don't know. But, but we give sacrificially. We're not all called to equal giving, but we are all called to equal sacrifice. The story of the widow's two mites says she gave more than the rest because she gave everything she had. They gave from abundance. She gave from need. 2 Corinthians 8 says, And now, brother, we want you to know the grace of God that was given to the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Wow. They gave out of their joy, not out of their budget. They didn't look at their pocketbook to decide what to give. They looked in their heart and the overflow of joy that they were experiencing. And that led them as to what to give. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, which one is going to win? Is my joy going to determine my giving or is my bank balance going to determine my giving? The Macedonian said, I'm going to let my joy determine my giving. Amen? I'm going to give because he's given. I'm going to give because I'm blessed. And I'm going to give sacrificially. A couple of us are honestly like the widow of Zarephath today. You may be in the room and you may truly give out of need, not out of abundance. Every time you give, thank you for your faithfulness to God. For most Christians in America, though, we're not in need. We're just unwilling to live within our means. And that is why we struggle to give. Oh, he done quit preaching and started meddling. Well, just hang on. It's almost lunchtime. It is not... Listen, for most of us, it's not the high cost of living, it's the cost of high living that keeps us from being able to give like we ought to give. Mm. 
We can drive cars and get eight miles to the gallon. We can buy $3.50 cups of Starbucks coffee. We have the deluxe premium satellite package that half the channels we don't ever watch, but we can't afford to pay our tithes. It's not the high cost of living. It's the cost of high living. And I want to tell you, if you can't afford to pay your tithes, you know what? Scale back on that cell phone package. Amen? Amen. Get you a flip phone you can afford, not an iPhone that you can't. You make payments on a house, not a phone. Oh, Lord help us. That's why we can't pay our tithes right there. Amen. Cut the cable package down. Well, Pastor, what cable package you got? I don't have a cable package. Amen. If I want to watch a game, I'll come over to your house. Amen. <laughs> Ain't no needing both of us paying for it. Glory to God. Amen. I don't have one. We don't choose to afford that. We could afford that. The church more than takes care of us. We've just chosen it's not a priority. And why would I give them $80 a month and never be home to watch it? I can give that $80 to missions and God will bless me on it. Amen. Glory to God. We can give. We can find ways creatively to give if we want to give. Mm. Haggai said in Haggai 1 and 4, Is it time for you to live in paneled houses while the Lord's house remains a ruins? The Lord said to them in Haggai, He said, You expected much, but it turned out to be little. You brought it home, and I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord. He says, Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Amen. What do we need to do, Pastor? We need to give. We need to give. We've got a roof in the gym that needs replacing. It's going to take a lot of of money to replace it. Amen. Well, Pastor, I don't know about that. Well, I know about it, and we need to give, and we need to replace it. Amen. Raise your hand if you'd sit in your house with it leaking. Amen. Well, the ushers are coming by right now. (laughs) We give. We sacrifice. We do what we need to do. Why? Because it's the Lord's house and because we love the Lord's house. And we give faithfully because of that reason. Finally, let me hit our motive for giving this morning before we close. Our motive for giving. Say our motive. It ought not be out of guilt. It's not out of guilt. Malachi 1 and 8. Let me tell you, whenever you give out of guilt, you do it begrudgingly and you don't give well. (laughs) We don't give well out of guilt. Whenever I feel guilty and somebody guilt trips me into giving, I'm going to give the least amount I can give and ease my conscience, right? Some of us, when we give in the offering, we're like the man that wrote the letter to the IRS. He said, I cheated on my taxes last year. Here is a check for $1,000. If I still can't sleep tonight, I'll send you the rest of what I owe you. (laughs) Amen. Some of us are like that with our giving in church. I'm going to give to ease my conscience. We don't give out of guilt. The Bible says in Malachi 1 and 8, when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Says the Lord Almighty. And you say, what a burden. And we sniff at it contemptuously. Malachi 1, 13. Hear me today. What was he saying? He says, if you're just giving out of guilt, keep it. Amen. The Lord said, I don't want your guilt offering. I don't want you to give because you've been guilt tripped to give. Amen. Amen. He says, I don't want you to give for that reason. Don't give if you have to sniff when you drop it in the plate. God says, keep it. Keep it. You enjoy it. God says, I'm going to get it anyway. Amen. How's God going to get it? Well, you'll break down on the way home and the mechanic who pays his tithes will give you a bill and God will still get your money. (laughs) God's going to get his money, okay? Amen. Mm. We don't give out of guilt. Number two, we don't give out of greed. Say greed. Should we give expectantly? Yes. Does God bless us when we give? Of course he does. But not so we can constantly increase our standard of living. God blesses us to give seed to the sower. 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. He will increase my what? Store of seed. What do you do with seed? Eat it? What do you do with it? You plant it. Why is God going to bless me? Why is God going to increase me? Why is God going to put more money in my pocket? So I can upgrade my cable package? So I can buy a nicer vehicle? So I can live in a better house? So I can go up, 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 up? Every time I give, God gives me more money? Is that why God blesses me? 
Is that why he says? Keep reading. And will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Why? You will be made rich in every way so that what? So that you can be generous on every occasion. When God blesses us, he rarely has just us in mind. God blesses us so we can be a blessing. That's what he told Abraham in Genesis 12. I'll bless you and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Abraham, I'm going to bless you, but don't get cocky. It's not about you. I'm going to bless everybody through you. That's why I'm blessing you. Amen. The Bible tells us that. God will get it to you if God can get it through you. God will get it to you if he can get it through you. That's what Dr. E.V. Hill believed. I think he was right. Amen. We don't give out of greed, but we do understand God will bless us if we'll be faithful. Verse 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. We were faithful with a little, so he blessed us with more. But if we're not faithful with what we have, we have no guarantee of his future blessing. Amen. We don't give out of guilt or greed, we give out of gratitude. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. Giving is an action, of a sign of our love and our gratitude to God. Jesus said, freely you've received, freely give. That's why we give. We give because we've been generously blessed by God. And our generosity is to overflow, to help the work of the kingdom, to bless the local church, and to overflow from there to bless others in our community. Amen? I want to close with this. Why do we give? I believe when we give, we say some things to God. Number one, we say, God, I reverence you. Say, I reverence you. We give because we respect the Lord. We give out of respect and reverence to God. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. When we give to the Lord, we reverence God. We're saying to him, I understand the principle that I am not the owner of anything. I'm simply the manager that you have temporarily placed over a certain amount of your goods. Did you hear me? Oh, I'm the owner. My name is on it. Your name wasn't owned 100 years ago, and your name won't be owned 100 years from now. You don't own anything. Job said, naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. I don't care how big your house is, your grave will be the same size as mine. Glory to God. You hear me? We don't own anything. We are stewards, we are managers, and God owns it all. And he allows us to hold on to some of his stuff for a few years. And he tells us what we ought to do with that stuff. And then we die and we stand before him and he pulls out the accounting sheet and says, now let's go over the account of what you did with what I let you manage for a little while. Wow. Hmm. <laughs> Is the Lord really going to do that? Jesus said you'll give an account for every idle word you spoke on the day of judgment. You think every word you spoke is going to be on the list and every dollar you spent is not going to be on the list? Hmm. We're not owners. We're managers. And we will give an account for our stewardship of God's resources. Giving says, Lord, I reverence you. We understand the parable of the nobleman who went out and the king gave them three months wages and said, do business till I come. And when he came home, he called them before him and said, give an account of what you've done with what I gave you. You and I will give an account to the Lord for that. Giving says, I reverence God. I fear the Lord. I understand that my time, talent, and tithe, I have their own loan from God and I'll give an account for them. As importantly, number two, giving says, I love you. Say, I love you. Giving says, Lord, I love you. It's interesting to me in Malachi 3, the passage we often go to about giving, I think we often miss the point. The point is not give so you can get. The point is not God will bless you if you give. The point is not God will get you if you don't. That's not the point. The point is back at the beginning of the chapter. Verse 7, return to me and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? And the answer, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. What is God saying? God's saying it isn't about your money. He said your money is just an indicator to me of a bigger problem. You don't love me. I don't have your heart. You don't really care about me. You don't think about me. I'm not important to you. Wow. Oh, Lord, you, I, I feel that you are very important to me. Well, importance is not judged by our feelings. <laughs> I want to tell you, you and I, whenever we have our children, we love them. 
And we love them. We love them deeply. We love them well. But I want to tell you, that love requires more of us than hugs and kisses. That love requires lots of sacrificial giving thrown in their direction. And all the parents said, and all the parents said again, <laughs> love calls us to more than warm, fuzzy feelings. And love for God calls us to more than that. And God looks at the children of Israel in Malachi 3 and says, you guys don't love me. You need to return to me. Your heart needs to come back to me. Oh, Lord, our heart's with you. He says, no, it isn't. How do you know our heart's not with you? Because I can tell by the tithes and offerings that your heart's not with you. Because Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Whatever I love, I will invest in and I will give to. Amen. You don't know my heart. Show me your checkbook and I'll tell you quite a bit about your heart. Jesus said that. Hmm. Quiet in the holiness church. When I married Shay, the first thing I did was I put her name on my checking account. When I applied for my first credit card, I put her name on it. Her mom almost had a stroke. She was 19 years old, and I handed her a Discover card with a $5,000 limit. And her mama said, she can't handle that. And I said, she better be able to handle it. She's about to marry me. Amen. Uh, she's going to have to be able to handle it. But I'm not going to withhold anything from her, and everything that belongs to me belongs to her, and everything I have, her name is on it. Every possession I have, her name is on there just beside mine. Why? I love her. I love her. She's part of me. Nothing will I withhold from her. Everything I have in this life, I share with her. There is no mine and hers. There's just ours. There's one checking account. And if it's high or low, it's ours. We're either high on the hog or we're bottling the squeal. Amen. But we're doing it together. Whatever, whatever we're doing, we're doing it together. Amen. Because I loved her completely and I wanted her to know I was willing to share every part of my life with her. What you do with your money is a test. Say it's a test. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. At the end of the day, God doesn't want my money. He wants me. But my pocketbook is a pretty good indicator of how much of me he really has. Finally, number three, giving says, I trust you. Say, I trust you. Stand with me all over the house. I've got to get you to lunch. Giving is an act of faith. It's an expression of trust in God's faithfulness. When I give into God's kingdom, I'm saying by my actions, I trust God to provide for the needs of my family. He is my source, and the money I have is just my resource. Are you giving God's way today? What do you mean, Pastor? Are you giving regularly in proportion to your income, His tithe and above the tithe with your offering? Are you giving from the right attitude? Are you giving willingly, expectantly, sacrificially? And if you are a giver... Let me ask you about the motive of your giving today. Are you giving out of guilt because you're, the pastor's preached you under conviction? Well, I guess we'll take it, but the Lord's not real happy about taking it under that pretense. God wants a better motive than that out of our giving. Well, I'm giving to get. You're giving out of greed because if you bless, then you think God will bless you back. I'm not saying he won't bless your giving, but... Again, that motive is a little bit below the bar of what ought to come up from a Christian. The motive of a Christian in giving ought to be gratitude, the Bible says. We give because he gave. We give to say thank you. Because we love God, we trust God, and we reverence God. You may be here today and not be a Christian, and you may think a message like this is just a preacher's attempt to get your money. Let me say this to you with all sincerity. This church takes care of their pastor, and this church takes care of their staff. And the leadership of this church sets the amounts for what we make. And I want to tell you, if you dropped a million dollars in the offering plate this morning, it would not increase anybody's salary who works at this church by one penny next week. Do you hear me? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Okay? So if your pastor stands before you and preaches a message about giving, it's not self-serving. It's not anything of the sort. It just isn't. Those amounts are already budgeted and, and, and taken care of, and the faithful givers of our church make sure that our needs are met in that way every single week. And your staff is so grateful for your giving in that way and thankful for that. But what I mean by that is this. Don't think for a moment that your pastor is asking you to do something that is going to be self-serving for us. I'm not. Amen. I'm not urging you to give to me. Amen. We're fine. We're taken care of. We're good. My house is good. I've gone up three pant sizes since I took this church, amen? I'm doing better than I've ever done, I promise you. <laughs> I'm good. What I'm asking us to do 
is to say to the Lord, I reverence you and understand that what I have is not mine, it's yours, and I'm just a steward. Are you managing it like God wants you to manage it? As people who are going to give an account to the Lord, when the Lord inspects your giving on the last day, is he going to be pleased? That's all I'm asking you. Is God going to be pleased? You better give now like you're going to wish you had given then because you can't make it up once you get home. You hear me? Amen. Giving says to God, I love you and I love your church. That's what I'm saying. And number three, giving says, Lord, I trust you. I want to bless the church and I'm going to trust you to take care of our needs. Amen. Are you giving? I hope you are. To those who faithfully, loyally, sacrificially give every single week, can I say to you something that you may not often hear? On behalf of your church and on behalf of the Lord Jesus, whose church it is, thank you. Thank you so much for your faithfulness to God in giving. This church every year sends the gospel all over the world. This church every year does great ministry locally. This church every year does benevolence that helps people in our church and outside our church that says to them, God loves you, don't ever doubt it. And the reason that ministry goes forward is because every week, quietly and unassumingly, while the pianist plays and the organist plays and the band plays, you faithfully give unto the Lord because you love God and you love His kingdom. But there are some of us today who have not yet come to the place in our discipleship where we've realized that this is part of it too. Do you hear me? There are some people who think, well, I don't have to do that. Somebody else is going to do that. We live in a generation where people love to give to causes and where people will give to a cause. Oh, I'll give to missions but I'm not going to pay my tithes every week and give regularly. Oh, I'll give to help you in the children's department, but I'm not going to pay my tithes faithfully weekly. Just to, I want to tell you something today. It is the will of God that you and I give faithfully, proportionally, regularly so that the work of the entire program can go forward. Amen? Amen. If all we do is give to special projects and we don't meet the day-to-day -day needs of the church, you're liable to walk in here one Sunday and me say, you know what, bring your own roll of toilet paper with you. Because we gave, <laughs> we gave to make sure that this project got done, but we didn't give to make sure our bills got paid. We can't do that, can we? We can't do that. No, we can't do that. What we can do is we can be faithful in tithes and offerings. And we can give loyally and faithfully every week to the program of the church so that all the need can be met and all the ministry can go forward. Give to the Lord. Pastor, what is the tithe? 10% of what the Lord blesses you with. You give it back to the Lord. Right off the top. Lord, this is yours. You do it as an act of reverence, love, and faith. And I want to tell you, if you've never tried it, give it a shot. God says, try me and see. The only place in the Bible God says, try me, is see. Let me prove to you, you cannot outgive God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I love you. I thank you for your faithful people who've come and heard your word. I pray today that you'd bless them. I pray today that you'd multiply back to those who give faithfully every week. But I pray today for some in this house, Lord, for whom giving has never become a part of their discipline. Lord, I pray today that they'd hear and understand that their treasure is a test, their money's a test. Lord Jesus, you said it in your word. You said... If we've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will give us real riches? Lord, help us to see today our money's a test. Help us to move from being a fan to a follower this week. Help us to know, Lord, a disciple's not just someone who admires you, Lord. Not just someone who's drawn to what you stand for or respects what you teach. Lord, we want to be more than fans. We want to be followers, Lord, who believe your claims so deeply who are so convinced that your death and resurrection altered reality that we strive to follow your example. We obey your commands. We walk in your footsteps. And Jesus, when you command us to love our enemies, we dig down and we try with all of our hearts. When you say to forgive those who've despitefully used us, we pray through until we can do it. We struggle through in obedience. And Lord, when you say to pray and to fast and to give, we deny our flesh and we dig deep and we obey you. Lord, may we find that your spirit is able within us to help us do what we never could do on our own and to trust you to take care of us. In Jesus' name, and God's people said. Every head bowed for just a moment. If you're here today 
and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, and you say, Pastor, I've never done that. If you're here and you say, would you pray for me? I would love to pray for you today. I would love for you to come and let someone meet with you today and lead you to faith in Christ today. Amen? If you're here and you've never trusted Christ and you say, Pastor, you've sung about the overwhelming love of God. You've sung about the God who gave everything to us at the cross. If you're here today and you've never invited Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of your life, and you need to, would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, that is me. Pray for me. I need to be saved. I need to be rescued. I need to trust Christ. Just taking a moment. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I am in this house today. And I'm going to be honest, I have not made faithful, regular giving a part of my lifestyle. Maybe today you wrestle with that. Maybe you struggle with that. But today the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart. And you said, Lord, I need to get moving in the path of obedience. Are you here and honest enough to say, Pastor, will you pray for me this week? I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to do what is hard for me to do. But I need you to pray and believe God with me that God is going to help meet the needs of my house. This is a challenge. This is a risk. This is a big deal for me. And you're here today and say, Pastor, I'm struggling with this one. Will you pray for me? I need God's help to trust him to give. Would you just slip up your hand real quickly? Yeah, just being honest. Yeah. Yeah, this is hard. Yeah. Others today, yeah, just being honest. Come on, you don't have to be embarrassed. The Lord knows. I'm not going to come after you. I'm not going to write you a letter. I'm not, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to pray for you. Just being honest with the Lord. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, in Jesus' name, there are many women in this room, Lord, some of whom have never really tried and proven for themselves the faithfulness of God in this way. Lord, I'm praying for them this week. I pray for them this week that, God, they would begin to see in their own lives that you love them and you care for them and you don't just care for their soul and their spiritual well-being, but you are burdened about the things that concern them. You are concerned about their houses. You're concerned about their families. You care about their bills. You care about their needs. Lord, they can depend on you to meet their needs. Lord, I pray that this week you would show up for them. I pray that this week they would find you to be faithful and they would see firsthand what God can do. So God, I pray your blessing on them this week. And I pray, God, you would strengthen their hearts and increase their faith to dare to take the chance to trust you enough to give unto the Lord and see how God will work on their behalf in response to their giving. Lord, bless your people that they might be a blessing. And Lord, finally, I pray for your faithful people who love you and serve and give weekly, that you would multiply back to them even more, that they might have enough to give to every good work, that their seed basket might overflow and they could invest generously every time they get the opportunity. And we'll thank you and bless you for it. In Jesus' strong name and God's people said, give the Lord a great hand of praise this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you were blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at the Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.